Time for Swordplay. Alex, in a stunning turn of events, prosperity gospel preacher Benny Hinn has renounced the prosperity gospel, saying that the Holy Spirit is fed up with it. That's right, Nick. I'm fed up with it, too. In fact, Benny and I are co-authoring a book about how the love of money corrupts. You know, this book is going to take a sacrificial approach on the matter. Basically, you give all of your money to Benny and I, and we, as a sacrifice, will bear the burden of your riches so that you can be free from temptation and we'll, uh, well, we'll be rich. But we're willing to do it because we love you. That's just the kind of people you and Benny are, right on. (laughs) (laughs) This is Swordplay. We are your hosts. I am Nick Perez, preaching minister for the Davis Park Church of Christ in Modesto, California. I'm Alex Flood. I'm an evangelist for the Lake Phelan Church of Christ in St. Paul, Minnesota. On this episode of Swordplay, we have a resources extravaganza. That's right. We're going to talk about Bible study tools, things that Nick and I uh, use on a regular basis to help us prepare this podcast, to prepare our sermons, our Bible studies, to continue our own study into God's Word. We want to share some of these with you so that if you are interested in taking a deeper dive into your own personal Bible study, here are some things that might help you out. Uh, Looks like right off the bat, Nick, let's talk about computer software, because I know for me, maybe for you too, this is where I start off with every time. Um, I want you to talk to us a little bit about computer software. Yeah, so uh, during preaching school, I dabbled with uh, a few different software programs. At the time, uh, they were passing around eSword uh, software. Uh, there was a Cordance at the time as well. Uh, there may have been uh, some others. Uh, but anyway, after preaching school, I went and I was an intern with the Northside Church of Christ in Wichita, Kansas. That's where Alex and I uh, met. And um, the church there, they were all about Logos Bible software. And they actually bought me my first setup and revolutionized my study. (laughs) I haven't looked back since. Uh, Logos Bible software is... I mean, we, we could get them as a sponsor because Alex and I, we both use them. It's it's a great resource. It's up to Logos 8 now and right. uh, just a great platform for Bible study. Yeah, I work almost exclusively in Logos Bible software. Uh, it's unparalleled when using tools for the original language and the search functions are highly flexible. I never use... Uh, paper reference books anymore if it's also available on Logos because the speed and efficiency of using the Logos search engine is just amazing. I can create like groups of resources that I want to search through in addition to any Bible translation. So I have a group that I created of about 16 resources that I labeled Second Temple Era. So I can just run search functions just for that group. Um, There are lots of many functions for the program. Lots of tutorial videos to teach you how to do it, too, so it's um, not hard to learn. And I looked it up today. The Logos 8 Starter Package is on sale for $140, worth every penny. And you can get larger bundles for more money, but I would recommend just starting with this Starter Package and then buying resources as you need them. Yeah, and if, if you've got some serious coin to drop, though, the Logos 8 Portfolio... It's only $3,983 right now. That's right. 
that's actually cheaper than when I first looked. Back in the day, it was like five or six thousand bucks. So they've they've gone down to the price. That's good. I know they have a higher version even than that, don't they? Uh, like I thought the portfolio was the biggest one you could the, get. It's like the everything package, where like every single thing they've ever <laughs> they've ever done is like it's available, and it's like eight grand or something like that. Yeah. Uh, so if you got, I'd some have coin. to look back up. Yeah. <laughs> It can get pricey. Yeah, it can get pricey. So well, let's talk talk about English Bibles right, for right. a second. Um, you know, our our first encounter with the text is probably going to be through the English language. It's going to be in English. And so, um, speaking for me, I don't know about you, Alex. I'm not a language expert um, when it comes to the Greek and Hebrew. I've taken Greek a couple of times. Um, I know how to use the tools. But English is my first language, and so uh, typically I think that's most people are going to start there with an English Bible. And so for me, I utilize the English Standard Version, uh, the ESV, and that's because it has the readability that I want with the dependability that I need. I read it and I study it, and ESV for me is the way to go. There are other options. Um, like study Bibles, back in I grew up using the Zondervan NIV Study Bible. Uh, Kenneth Baker uh, Barker is the general editor of that study Bible, and I grew up with a compact copy of that. And then I got a larger copy, and now I own a revised copy right here. It's a big old fat thick one. Yeah, that's a big one. And um, this Bible it has uh, special notes on personal application, archaeological data, character studies. Each book has a substantial introduction about authorship, date, background information, themes, a basic outline of the book, and, and more stuff. It's got about 20,000 notes in it, 20,000 study notes in total. It will keep you busy. These are actually the Bibles that we give out to new converts here at, at Davis Park. And so... Uh, that's another option uh, that, that I'm familiar with, that I, I like, I appreciate. Uh, so ESV and then this NIV Study Bible. What about you, Alex? What do you use? Yeah, those are good Bibles. I've had ESVs uh, as my primary Bible in the past. Um, actually, my yeah, my first Bible was actually an NIV Study Bible, just like you mentioned. Um, my current Bible that I use and I've been using for quite a while now, it's my paper Bible is a New American Standard Bible, NASB, and it has wide margins all around. And so I make uh, copious notes and lines and circles all over the page, without which I would uh, forget much of what I had previous, previously studied. And so uh, when I make notes, I use mostly pencil, but sometimes I use pen. There are special thin pens that they make for Bible pages that don't bleed through. I like the NASB for its consistency. Uh, the way in which they translate each word has a very high uh, rate of consistency. Uh, they're not going for um, variety. And so if you're reading a, studying a letter and you want to dig into the original language, um, however a certain Greek or Hebrew word is used in that book or letter, uh, it will be consistently used that way in the NASB, which makes it not as readable as other translations, but it reads just fine for me. Uh, of course, I use other translations when studying, uh, and all of these translations I have in Logos Bible software. Cool thing about Logos is that translations are cheap. Um, they're only about $10 for each translation in Logos, and so you can run search functions for you know, five translations at once. 
And so that's uh, just a very powerful tool, again, that we highly recommend. There's also the Faith Life Study Bible, which uh, is continuously added to, and it's free in Logos as well. And you can link that with your other translations so that as you're reading one translation, you click over to your Faith Life Study Bible tab, and it's right there on the same uh, chapter, book, chapter, and verse. And so those are pretty good notes as well. It all has linkable functions, so you can link into other sources that you may or may not have in your library but can always add later. Uh, let's talk about, Nick, uh, concordances for a minute. Talk about that. Yeah, this uh, a concordance, this tool is usually how people use a concordance is they're thinking of a verse, you know, I know it says something like, uh, God loves the world, right? And and so what they'll do is they'll pull out their concordance and they'll look up the word, say love, and they'll go through the list until they find, oh yeah, that's right, John three sixteen. that's where it says God so loves the world, yeah. Um, and and that, you can use it that way. Uh, a concordance is going to have every single word uh, and especially if you're using an exhaustive concordance, it's going to have every single word of the Bible. You can look it up and, and where it's used and how many times it's used and stuff like that. And so some people, that's how they use it, is they just look up a word and they're trying to find that one verse. Where does it say that? One thing that we have discussed on the show is we've discussed things like the typical usage of a word or how it is stock language, things like that. Well, we used essentially a concordance or concordance feature in Logos, a search, in order to find all the uses of that particular word in order to see how that word is typically used, especially when a, a word is used in a certain type of literature. Like we've, we looked at prophecy the last few episodes. Well, what do clouds represent or what do the stars represent? What's a typical usage of that in prophetic literature? Well, in order to do that, we grabbed our concordance or did a concordance search in the Bible, and we worked through the listings of every time these words are used. That is the primary feature of a concordance, at least it should be, is to, to see how, how does the Bible use these words and, and what, is, what is the way uh, that these words uh, interact in a certain context. And so... Logos, you know, it has a search feature in it. Uh, as I'm staring at the screen right now, it's in the top, upper left-hand corner in mine, a little magnifying glass. Um, and so uh, that's that's uh, uh, one of the features in, in Logos, right, Alex? Yeah, so the Logos search engine replaces your concordance, basically, because it will allow you to search um, multiple translations at once, uh, if you desire, for any English word and every time that word pops up in that translation in the whole Bible. Um, Logos makes it easy and fast to not only look up how an English word is used in your Bible, but it has word study tools that will allow you to look up the Greek and Hebrew words behind the English word. For instance, uh, the English word for world or love may actually be one of several Greek words, each with their own definition and context. And so the uh, Bible study, uh, word study tool function will help you to search that out where you can be like, here's every time the Bible uses the word agape or phileo or uh, what's the other one? Eros. So um, there are, but if you, if you just are working with paper, 
then you're going to look for a concordance. You're going to look for probably uh, something called the Strong's Concordance. Uh, do you have right. one of those, Nick? I do. I have the Strongest NIV. That's their exhaustive, what they call their exhaustive uh, Strong's Concordance for the NIV. They make them in you know just about any translation you could look for, but uh, yeah, that's 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 the one that I I have. I I own it. So, well, let's get into original languages here, Nick. What do you use for studying the original language? So, so there's a couple different Greek um, New Testaments that that you can choose from. There's the USB. I think that's what it is. Uh, no, it's the UBS, United Bible Society. Um, that's one option that's out there. I think it's in like its third or its fourth edition. Uh, I prefer what's called the Nestle Allen New Testament. Uh, it's the tw- I have the 27th edition. I've got a wide margin edition, right? Uh, that way you can write notes in the margin for that as well. There is a 28th edition that's out, but I use the 27th. It also has... A, it's called a Greek apparatus, so the top of the page has the actual Greek text, and then below it um, has all these different markings that tell you these notations that indicate textual variance in the manuscripts um, and, 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 and all the various uh, manuscript traditions and things like that. So um, I, I have a hard copy, by the way, but you, there is a version that's on Logos. That's right. The 28th edition, the newest one, with the Greek text and critical apparatus, it's on Logos on sale right now for $60, which uh, I might have to pick that up. That's a good deal. Um, There's also, I think, a little $10 supplemental study that goes with it now that details the uh, transmission of the Greek text itself. And so that would be uh, very helpful if you want to know how did we get from the uh, earliest copies to our Bible. Like, what did that transmission look like? Uh, That little $10 edition might be something interesting to you. Uh, We also have what are called lexicons. Uh, So lexicons are dictionaries of Hebrew and Greek words used in your Bible and uh, also in the broader um, area of that part of the world. So That way you get not only how the word is used in the Bible, but also how the word is used in other uh, texts and literature that are known to us from the ancient Near East. And so uh, for Hebrew, if you're studying your Old Testament, the premier lexicon for Old Testament in scholarship today is something called the Halot, uh, the H-A-L-O-T. It's the Hebrew Aramaic lexicon of the Old Testament. It's five volumes if you get it on paper. Uh, you can get it in Logos, though, for $95. I recommend that. Uh, if you want a uh, cheaper and smaller uh, version that's still good, you can get the BDB. It's called the Brown Driver Briggs Hebrew and English Lexicon. This is still a good and classic lexicon for the Old Testament. You can get it in Logos for only $20. That's a great deal. Uh, what else do you like to use, Nick? One that I've I stumbled across and I've used with benefit is called uh, the well, it's the TWOT, the uh, Theological Wordbook of the Old Testament. Harris Archer and Waltke, they're the I guess the editors of that. I, I've got a paper copy, a hard copy on my shelf uh, that I utilize, but I also have it in Logos, and it's you can get it on Logos for the low low price of thirty eight doll hairs. There you go. <laughs> 
Uh, if you're studying the Greek, whether we're talking about the Greek New Testament or the uh, Septuagint, then you can use uh, what's called the BDAG, B-D-A-G. That's Bauer's Lexicon. It is the premier lexicon for the New Testament and scholarship today. You can get it in Logos for $90. Um, if you don't have uh, that much money, though, there's still the G-E-L-N-T. That's Thayer's Lexicon. And it's still a good and classic lexicon for the New Testament. I still use it quite a bit in addition to the BDAG. You can get that in Logos for only $15. And so that's that's a great deal. Yeah, because uh, I, I think I paid a bunch more for it back when I bought it for my Logos. Well, um, what what else do you use, though? There's a few more things, right? Yeah. Um, so uh, there's Lonida, uh, L-O-U-W hyphen N-I-D-A, Lonida. Uh, is another Greek-English lexicon. Um, and I, I, that's actually my primary, I, I believe it's my primary, um, lexicon that I have set up in, in Logos, 35 bucks on Logos. That's great. And, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't actually have that one, but, uh, when I saw you put that down, I thought about, you know, putting that on my wish list because it sounds, it sounds really good. It's labeled as a semantic domain lexicon. So what that means is they like to break down all the words by their shades of meaning. And so um, if you want to get, I guess that's why they call it semantic domain. You get more into the semantics of each word because each word is going to be used differently in different contexts. And so that's really where they specialize in is pointing out those different contexts where the word might change slightly in meaning. Um, and then one did, more yeah. is, uh, and this is the big, this is gets the fatty award, right? Because I think it's like 10 volumes. Yeah. Um, the TDNT, <laughs> the yeah. Theological Dictionary of the New Testament by Kittle, uh, K-I-T-T-L-E. Um, man, and this, for the low, low price of only 120 bucks, it can be yours. That's um, right. <laughs> but they also have, they call it the Little Kittle, and it's just an abbreviated uh, uh, edition of the Theological Dictionary of the New Testament, an abridged edition. That's so cute, the little and, kittle. yeah, that's right, little kittle, and uh, <laughs> and that that's helpful too. Sometimes, like if these articles are extensive, these guys have done all kinds of background work and looked at all the word how it's how it's used in various you know pagan literature and uh, and then uh, Old Testament, New Testament. The little kittle just really succinctly puts it together, and you can just skim right through that. Oh, that's where I need to go, and then you can find the larger reading in um, big kittle. That's right, big kittle. <laughs> um, so that that's beneficial as well, at least for me. Well, Alex, you know we're privileged. We, you know, you've got a little bit of Hebrew in your background. You've studied a bit of that, right? A little bit. And you've taken Greek. I've I've taken it a couple times uh, as well. Uh, but what if what if for our audience? What if they're sitting out there? I'm not a language expert. I, I don't know the language even a little bit. What are some tools that can benefit me in good old English? Well, there are a couple of English word study books that I just right. want to put before you. There's right. the classic is Vines. Yep. Vines is you can you can find used copies probably at a used bookstore in your neighborhood or something uh, or online. Oh yeah, for like ten bucks. Uh, Vines is the classic. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and then now there's uh, it's called Mounce's um, ex- complete expository dictionary, and I believe he does Old and New Testament uh, words and their usage. Um, it's actually called Vines of the 21st Century. Wow. And so Mounce, uh, M O U N C E, Mounce's complete expository dictionary. 
And then, you know, if, if you want more of like a, a verse by verse uh, and, and, and how these words are used, uh, some good studies by Robertson and then also by Vincent. Uh, Robertson wrote word pictures of the New Testament. Vincent wrote word studies of the New Testament. And those are those go verse by verse through the through the New Testament to show you um, at least to pull the the various words and and how they're being used there. So right. Well, Nick, let's get into commentaries. Uh, talk to us about commentaries. After you deal with the text itself, and hopefully you do that, that should be the primary thing you do in English or in the original languages if you have that ability. Uh, after you deal with the text itself, it is good to go and check your work, check it against others. Um, usually they're more skilled linguistically or with the backgrounds or historically. And so at that point, that's when you can pull out your commentary and just double check your work to make sure that. Uh, you're in line with uh, uh, scholarship and things like that. And uh, for me, the primary commentary that I use is, it's called the NAC, the New American Commentary. It's based on the NIV. It's published, so they release these as they're completed. So the first uh, volumes were published in the 90s, late 90s, and now the most recent um, put out was in 2014. It is missing commentaries on the Psalms and Ephesians, because I think those are still being produced, but 42 volumes. Uh, this is uh, contemporary evangelical scholars who have sought to produce a commentary that the entire church can read and understand. And they can get technical, but I do think that they, they minimize that for the sake of readership. Uh, and so NAC, that's, that's the primary one that I use when I want to double-check my work. I hear good stuff. I don't own it, but I hear good stuff about the World Biblical Commentary. It was on sale here recently on Logos. It is still 40% off. It's just going to set you back 719 bucks. But um, <laughs> uh, that's I hear that's good. And then, so um, the NAC is not just the only thing that I use. I also use... Uh, old school commentaries, because if you are ignorant of church history, um, you're basically an isolationist, and you're really not getting the benefit of... If other people have studied this stuff, and they have uh, done it in an in-depth way, and so when I want to get old school, I'll pull out my Clarks. It is six volumes if you have a hard copy, which I do. Or... Um, uh, Adam Clark, by the way, he was an 18th and 19th century Methodist. He commented on the whole Bible. And it was Clark's commentary at one time was considered the most comprehensive commentary ever composed by a single person. Um, and it's available. You can get a hard copy. Um, but if you want to find it online, you can find it with another with an extra 119 other commentaries. Uh, via studylight.org, studylight.org forward slash commentaries. Uh, and so it's available there um, on the old intraweb as well with several others. Uh, so those are some commentaries, some of my favorites at least. Uh, Alex, what about you? Yeah, and a lot of those old school commentaries, uh, like you said, are available for free. So you you mentioned studylight.org. I know Bible Hub and other websites like that have many of those commentaries available. Um, 
The only thing to watch out for in the old school commentaries is that um, research available to them was um, a little more limited than it is to us now. There's actually been a lot of stuff found and updated in the 1900s and even into the early 2000s. And so um, their their research was good, but is uh, out of date in uh, many places now. And also their their tools are not as good as ours. So like they might have excellent memories, but um, they can't search all the resources all at once to make sure nothing slips by them like we can with software. And so um, they might have missed some things that you won't miss if you're using Bible software. If your background, though, is from the Churches of Christ or the Restoration Movement like Nick and I, um, then you're probably going to be most familiar with the content, the the stuff you're used to hearing uh, within commentaries like the Gospel Advocate Commentary Series, uh, the College Press NIV Commentary Series, uh, the James Burton Kaufman Commentary Series, which that one's free online, the uh, the newer, uh, probably most up-to-date commentary series from the Churches of Christ is called the Truth for Today Commentary Series. Uh, and that one's still, I think it's all about finished. But um, as far as commentary series go, I can't really recommend any commentary series wholesale, like just this whole commentary series is great. Also because rarely will you find anybody who's read an entire commentary series. That's just uh, a pretty large undertaking. You know, they're used as reference works. You look up, you know, this verse here, that verse there. Um, but here are some of my favorites. Like these are commentaries that I have read pretty much uh, all the way through or the whole thing. Um, and so th- these are ones that I've uh, gotten into over the last couple of years. So if you're studying the first five books of your Bible, the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, or what's called the Torah, the JPS Torah Commentary is pretty top-notch. I'm most familiar with the Deuteronomy uh, commentary written by uh, Jeffrey Tigay, but I've seen the other ones referenced before, and they seem pretty good. Uh, So that's for Deuteronomy and really the first five books of the Old Testament. If you're studying Revelation, I recommend reading Revelation 4 Views, revised and updated by Steve Gregg. That's a good one. I've read that, and... uh, I own, but have yet to read, it's on my reading list, a commentary on Revelation called Revelation, a shorter commentary by Beale and Campbell. Now, Beale has a commentary on Revelation that's, uh, I think, like 1,500 pages or something like that. <laughs> yeah, but he, that guy is, he's voluminous. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he wrote a shorter version, so Revelation, a shorter commentary, is only like 650 pages, so <laughs> that's the shorter <laughs> one. Um there's a really, sh- there actually is a truly short book for if you're studying the Gospel of John that I recommend. It's called The Moses Connection in John's Gospel by Bill Day. Uh, very readable, very short, uh, very insightful though. Uh, the more critical commentary I've completely read for the Gospel of John is called The Gospel of John by Francis J. Maloney. And that one's pretty good. Not going to agree with everything in critical commentaries, but it's still pretty good. Uh, and that's a Catholic commentator. And so you get some interesting Catholic perspectives there as well. Uh, during our podcast preparation for the uh, book of Nahum, I ran across a commentary by Gregory D. Cook. I referenced that in the podcast, and it can be found in two versions. He has a dissertation, which I read um, for the podcast, and he also has 
a commentary version called Severe Compassion, the Gospel According to Nahum. And that's a part of a larger commentary series on the Old Testament called The Gospel According to the Old Testament. I do like some of the Hermaniah commentary series. They are a critical commentary series, so they won't hold to the same views concerning inspiration and authorship as you and I will. But the research and the background information and the questions raised by critical commentaries, if you're willing to listen, those things will sharpen you and they will make you a better student if you can ignore the unbelieving elements and just use their research to your advantage. They also cover books that aren't in your Bible. They have commentaries on the Pseudepigrapha, the Apocrypha, and early Christian writings. And that's something you are not going to find in other commentary series. Uh, overall, though, I don't use commentaries very often. Uh, when I do, I use small portions of them. Um, just I find that uh, there is everything that we've already talked about, all the information that's going to be available to the commentator is also available to you. So I like to look at those. And uh, there, are, there are more things, too, though. There are dictionaries, which are not quite like commentaries, but still incredibly informative um nick what about dictionaries let's see yeah they uh so they're they're similar to encyclopedias they're full of uh hundreds of articles that have been well researched they're cited uh, they focus very narrowly and specifically on topics and so um so uh, for me the Anchor Yale Bible Dictionary is actually my preferred dictionary. Um, it's the first choice. Yeah, um, for for me, it's uh, very scholarly. Um, six volumes, so it's it's substantial. Lots and lots <laughs> of articles, and also again available at the low low price of two hundred seventy dollars in Logos. Worth every penny. The, That's right. The thing is with Logos, who has time to go through? paper that's six volumes you know that just just to look up one thing is going to take you like five minutes uh if you have it in logos if you have it in digital form you can look it up in less than five seconds and so if you don't have a lot of time to study you really ought to look into these resources on logos Um, another good dictionary that i like quite a bit is called ddd it's the dictionary of deities and demons in the bible uh, that's on sale right now in Logos for $48, which is actually a lot cheaper than what I paid for it. But uh, So it's on get a good deal right now. This is such a fascinating resource. Uh, this is probably one of the only reference works that I feel like you could read cover to cover without losing interest. I mean, it's just full of really fascinating things. You know, you look up, okay, you're in your Old Testament. You're like, man, who is this Baal character? Or who is uh, Asherah? Who's the queen of heaven? Like, what are these other gods that are, who's Dagon? What are these other gods being mentioned? Man, DDD has a very well-researched entry on every one of those things. So if you want to know about what the other cultures around Israel believed concerning gods and demons and uh, the supernatural realm, DDD is a must-have. You'll love it. What else, Nick? Uh, well, let's say you don't want a great big fat six-volume thing sitting on your shelf or whatever. You just want something that's uh, a little more compact. Uh, maybe you're not an expert in all the various uh, uh, Old Testament, New Testament scholarly research and things like that. Or, um, I mean, kind of like with the Hermonia stuff, uh, 
sometimes you might find critical stuff uh, in the Anchor Bible Dictionary. That's right. Uh, well, if you want something a little smaller, a little more compact, and maybe a little more budget-friendly, there is the Nelson's New Illustrated Bible Dictionary. Uh, I've had this since, well, since I graduated, I think, uh, from SIBI, because, uh, man, I had it way back when I was an associate minister in Arizona, and I don't remember how much I paid for it. It's 40 bucks on Logos. Um, but uh, it's just a single volume, and I have benefited tremendously from that little Bible dictionary um, as well. So, And it's got pictures. Who doesn't like pictures? There you go. Everyone loves pictures. Hey, Alex, talk to us about ancient Near Eastern studies, would you? Yeah, so this is something I've recently gotten, in, gotten into in preparation for my master's thesis. So uh, ancient Near Eastern studies, these are resources that really dig into all of the available evidence for what the world and the worldview of Israel's neighbors uh, was like both before Israel became a nation, you know, going way back to you know Ugarit in 3000 BC, uh, to during and after the time Israel becomes a nation, you know, during the time of Moses, during the time of the monarchy, during the time of captivity and dispersion, during the time of the intertestamental period. So, ancient Near Eastern studies uh, is very important. Um, the uh, sort of standard that was put out, I think, in the 70s, late 70s, is called the ANET, A N E T. It's Ancient Near Eastern Texts by Pritchard. It provides the cultural background to the world in which Israel lived by giving you the uh, translations, English translations of the most important texts found from those other cultures. You can get it in Logos for $80. Um, there's another three-volume set called The Context of Scripture, and it's just like the ANET, but it's uh, more comprehensive and up-to-date, and that is in Logos for $300. So uh, it can get pretty pricey, very specified areas of research, very good, very rich information, though. Uh, go ahead, Dick. Yeah, we also have, uh, we want to talk a little bit about Second Temple literature also yes. and, and some of the resources that are available concerning that. Yeah, these are resources that are invaluable for understanding the time period that shaped and formed the era in which our Savior Jesus Christ appeared. These are uh, works having to deal uh, with um, Israel and the Jews. And so the first one you'll recognize, because we mention it quite often, is called the Septuagint. The abbreviation is LXX, because that's the um, numerical uh, value of 70, the Septuagint. So... I like to use the LES, the Lexham English Septuagint. Lexham is the in-house publisher for uh, Logos Bible Software and uh, Faith Life um, Study Corporation or whatever they're called. So the Lexham English Septuagint, you can get it in Logos for only 20 bucks. If you're a paper person, though, you can get it in paper for 40 bucks. Uh, there's also the NETS, the NETS. It's the New English Translation of the Septuagint. I really like that one. You can get it in Logos for 30 bucks or in print for the same price on Amazon or somewhere else. Um, this differs from the LES in that uh, it leaves all of the names in Greek. And so instead of seeing the word Jeremiah, you're going to see the word Eumia. And so if you want to <laughs> if you want to see the original Greek names alongside the English translation, the NETS, the Nets Bible, is a good one for you. And those are both very recent, up-to-date translations of the Septuagint. So uh, we're not talking about uh, translations that are... Uh, over a hundred years old. These, this is up to date, readable, uh, modern vernacular English. Now the this uh, the N E T, the net is, is this the same? Yes. 
Right, but is this the same group that put out the Net Bible, uh, that the NET, that is oh, uh, got extensive see. reference notes and textual notes and translation stuff like that? I have no idea. Okay, okay. Oh, I, I just saw that and I, I didn't know if it was the same. It thing. might be. Well, it might be. I'm not sure. Uh, related to this is, you know, the apocryphal stuff. We've done a couple, few episodes on the podcast concerning uh, apocryphal books. And so some resources that have uh, been beneficial to us concerning that. Um, well, first of all, I guess we should talk about, you know, the, the Septuagint is going to have the apocryphal books in it. So you mentioned the LES, Lexham English Septuagint is going to have that. Uh, those books, those extra books in it. Right. Um, I prefer the the new revised standard version. In fact, I just bought a hard copy for like twelve or fifteen bucks here recently. Uh, just the apocrypha in the NRSV. There you go. Yeah. And um, so the the book that I first utilized uh, in order to study the apocrypha was one written decades ago by Bruce Metzger called Introduction to the Apocrypha. And uh, I, I think I got my copy through ABE Books, Abe Books. Um, it was uh, very inexpensive. Uh, and in fact, I believe you can get one for five or six bucks these days. I think I looked that up before the show uh, on the, a used book site like Abe Books. But uh, this was the classic. Uh, it was the standard for a number of years. But here recently, I think there's a resource that has taken that position, right, Alex? Yeah, it's an introduction to the Apocrypha by David De Silva. It's in its second edition right now. Uh, the second edition is in production for Logos, meaning that uh, you can pre-order it, but it's not available yet. Uh, and that is only going to be $30. Um, you can buy it on paper, though, for I think around the same price from Amazon, 20 or $30. And so I own the paper copy. I read from the paper copy. Uh, that's a resource I use heavily for our Apocrypha episodes when we do that on the podcast. Um, so there's the Apocrypha. There's the Septuagint. There's also the Old Testament Pseudopigrapha, abbreviated OTP. And um, the standard for a while was the uh, two-volume set by Charles Worth, and that is available in Logos for $120. Um, I have that. I use that quite extensively. Uh, and uh, apparently there's a new and updated volume. Uh, do you know of, Nick? Uh, is that the one by Bauckham? I, I believe so. I haven't looked into it yet. Have you? No. Okay. Well, that's something to <laughs> look into. <laughs> it's good that new resources are always coming out, though, because... Research is always being done. New things are being found. Uh, Old Testament pseudopigrapha, apocrypha, Septuagint. Uh, there's also the Dead Sea Scrolls. We mentioned those quite a bit on the podcast. Now, you can get the Dead Sea Scrolls Bible for only $10 in Logos. It's a great deal. Uh, you can also get the Dead Sea Scrolls, um, a new translation, which is not the biblical portions, but the non-biblical portions. That's those are called the sectarian texts and that's available in logos as well i think it's pretty cheap maybe like 10 or 20 bucks uh, maybe 30 tops i forgot to look that one up um and uh, uh what else is available for the dead sea scrolls nick yeah there's also a, a popular edition when i mean popular i mean it was it's made for just kind of the for a general audience um it's called the complete dead sea scrolls in english uh published by penguin 
It's translated by Giza Vermes. I'm probably mispronouncing that. V-E-R-M-E-S. Um, and you can get a copy of that for about five bucks in uh, ABE books, Abe's, Abe books as well. Um, and so now just to, to remind you about Logos, uh, in Logos, I'll have out a tab for my Septuagint, a tab for my um, Dead Sea Scrolls and a Bible and a tab for my NASB. And I link all three of those tabs. So when I'm looking at, you know, Jeremiah, uh, you know, chapter six, then the other tabs automatically go to Jeremiah chapter six. So I can cross-reference Septuagint with Dead Sea Scrolls, with my English translation, all at the same time. Uh, more Second Temple literature would be like the works of Josephus, a Jewish historian, um, went over to the Roman side during the Jewish-Roman War in the late 60s, and he uh, wrote extensively. Uh, the complete works of Josephus are available in Logos for 20 bucks. There's a guy named Philo, and he was um, contemporary with the Apostle Paul. He's known for uh, synchronizing Greek philosophy with uh, Jewish exegesis. And so you can get the complete works of Philo in Logos for $30. Uh, his works were quite influential. Now, we've mentioned a lot of things for Second Temple literature. Septuagint, Apocrypha, Old Testament, Pseudepigrapha, Dead Sea Scrolls, Josephus, and Philo. There is a volume set, three-volume set, called Outside the Bible, Ancient Jewish Writings Related to Scripture. This is a great resource because it basically consolidates all of those things we just mentioned and commentates on them uh, for the entire Second Temple like literature package, basically. And you can get it in Logos for $270. And so uh, if you don't want all of these resources, you don't want to look through all of them at the same time, I would recommend that three-volume set, Outside the Bible, Ancient Jewish Writings Related to Scripture. It's in Logos for $270. Now... That's intertestamental stuff, but we have post-New Testament stuff called the early church writings. Talk to us about that, Nick. That's right. So some of these guys are guys who knew the guys who wrote the books, all right? Um, uh, guys like uh, Clement could be the Clement that's mentioned in Philippians, um, and he wrote uh, First and Second Clement. Um, Polycarp, I believe, he's mentioned he's a disciple of... Uh, John. So some of these guys, again, they're guys who knew the guys who wrote the books of the New Testament. And then the, you get you get later on into early church writings, and um, you get guys like Origen, Justin Martyr. You get uh, even later than that, Athanasius and um, Eusebius, and there were a couple different Eusebiuses. So, and, and all these guys in the first four or five centuries of church history are writing and they're they're writing about what they believe and they're writing in order to defend the faith and they're writing about church practice and, and things like that. So these are valuable resources, a uh, glimpse into the early workings of the early church. Now you can break these up. There are what are called apostolic fathers. Uh, again, guys who knew the guys, some of them, and then also, uh, you know, they're uh, second century writers. So you're uh, Justin Martyr is going to be included in that. Origin, I think, gets included in that. And then you're going to get kind of the uh, a little later down the timeline. These are going to be kind of your Nicene fathers. So the division is usually the Council of Nicaea in 325. 
um, <clears throat> guys who were leading up to that, again, guys like uh, Athanasius and uh, uh, um, Eusebius uh, is included in that as well. Um, so there's your Nicene Fathers. And then your post-Nicene. So everything after Nicaea. And this is going to be your Augustine, your Chrysostom. Um, and so that's that's usually how they get broken up. So you can that's get resources right. that are devoted exclusively to the Apostolic Fathers. Right, Alex? That's right. Um, and this entire study is sometimes called patristics, study and patristics. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Apostolic Fathers, you can get the Greek text and English translation by Holmes. Uh, that's what I have. It's uh, pretty good. It's, it's recently up to date. Um, it's only $43 in Logos. Uh, now there is a, another one by someone in the Church of Christ that was done pretty good. Um, what was that, Nick? Yeah, so you're talking about, and by the way, uh, Holmes, I got the paper copy. It doesn't have the Greek in it. It's just an English translation. If you just want to, again, if you're not an expert in the languages, you just want the English, you can get, uh, I think it's a, there's a third edition uh, is the most recent. Holmes, he's a Princeton guy. So, uh, but anyway, he's, he's he, each book has an introduction and then it has the actual text of the book in right. its completion. I like the, uh, Everett Ferg- I like the Greek text because, um, I can see how a word used in the New Testament was continued to be used during the second century. And so that can help sometimes with word studies if you're doing For sure. Greek word studies. So go ahead, Nick. Sorry. <laughs> Everett Ferguson, is he wrote a two-volume work called Early Christian Speak. Um, it's an excellent overview of the uh, various subjects that the early church writers were writing on. Uh, uh, what they were saying about things like Lord's Supper, uh, things like angels and demons, spiritual gifts, um, Military things service. like that. Uh, so the, f- yeah, exactly. So the first few centuries of of uh, Christendom, and he, it's I don't I don't want to say it's exhaustive, but it's certainly comprehensive in in the scope. Uh, he pulls from all the different writers, so you see exactly what they wrote. And then you'll have a, a discussion on it uh, and, and explain what these guys, uh, what they believe, maybe how they were in um, conflict with one another. This guy says this, but this guy says that. Usually they're pretty well in agreement, though. All right. And so for the uh, church fathers, so we're getting into 3rd, 4th, 5th century and following, um, there's an excellent series that's uh, pretty new. It's still releasing, I think. Um, I think it's still releasing. It's called Ancient Christian Texts. Now, these are new English translations from the works of several church fathers. Um, And so it's good, good work, massive amounts of work. I have the two-volume commentary on John's Gospel by a guy named Kuriel of Alexandria. It looks like it's spelled Cyril of Alexandria, and you can say it. Yeah, that's right, Cyril. Yeah. I say (laughs) Kuriel because it sounds cooler. And so (laughs) Kuriel of Alexandria... Uh, commentary on John's Gospel, two volumes, massive work, $105 in Logos. Uh, so that's uh, good. What else, Nick? Yeah, so I mentioned the um, Antonicene, Nicene, and Post-Nicene Fathers. That's the whole 38-volume set. I own a hard copy right there. takes up two shelves, well, a shelf and a half, I guess, um, in my library. And uh, lots and lots of good stuff. Uh, so the... Um, Antonicene Fathers. Uh, this is um, a ten-volume set, and then 
the Nicene and post-Nicene fathers each are 14 volumes in those two collections. So 38 volumes. You can get it on Logos for, let me just check this. That's $70. Are you serious? <laughs> that is way more than I paid for it. 70 so, bucks. That's pretty good. It's pretty good. Dirt cheap. Dirt cheap. Um, relative to where you find like a hard copy for like 300 bucks, I think. Right sure, now. sure. Now, that, uh, that volume set, I believe, is, a, is about 100 years old. And so there are some new translations uh, out that sell for a set. Uh, and I think it's just the, the uh, Nicene and post-Nicene Fathers. It's not the anti-Nicene Fathers. But you can get that set for, I think, around $800 in Logos. So, <laughs> so if you want the newer translations, you will pay a pretty penny for it. I think the old ones are probably pretty good for only 70 bucks. Um, uh, by the way, let me just say this also. Um, I, f- I forgot to put this in our show notes, but there is a website called, let me see here if I can find it quickly. Uh, the, the initials are C-Cell, C-C-E-L. Um, and I guess I'm not going to find it as quickly as I want. Oh, there it is. <laughs> um, nope, that's not it. Um, C-Cell. Um I forget what they are. It's, EL is Ethereal Library, Christ, Christ, Classic Christian Ethereal Library, something like that, C-C-E-L. And the, the complete works of the early church fathers are on there, as well as stuff, uh, classic literature throughout all of church history. It's a massive online library of um, uh, Christian literature and... Uh, so you can find probably a lot of this stuff in there as well, and it won't cost you a dime as long as you got an internet connection. So There you go. Another resource for uh, early church writings are the um, books called New Testament Apocrypha. So these are non-canonical scriptures, things that didn't make it into the Bible, some that were, um, uh, uh, I don't know what the word is for it, probably erroneous banned several, from the bible yeah. <laughs> uh some probably more erroneous than others um mm. so i have a work called the new testament apocrypha more non-canonical scripture it's newer it has many works that had never been translated before and you can get it in logos for 68 dollars uh, there are other books as well nick like uh what do you have i found a copy called the lost books of the bible published by the bell publishing company I actually found it at a used bookstore um, for like a buck. Maybe I got it for a dime. Anyway, but it has. It's New Testament Apocrypha. So like Acts of Paul and Thecla, I think is her name. Um, You know, Acts of Peter and a lot of Acts running around at the time. Um, So I found found that. It's kind of dated, but um, there's that. There's also this book called The Other Bible. And it has not just like uh, apocryphal stuff. It'll have like your Gnostic stuff in there, Gnostic Gospels. It'll have uh, Jewish cabal writings and things like that. One of my members actually brought it on a Wednesday night when I was teaching the Apocrypha. And I was like, oh, man, that's that's incredible. Um, I've, I got a used copy, I think, through Abe Books a while back after I saw that. But Yeah, and not uh, to... That's another- not to confuse the audience, the Apocrypha are all Old Testament writings, and um, the Gnostic writings are all post-New Testament. Those are um, 3rd and 4th century writings during the, the rise of, of Gnosticism. And so the Gnostic writings were, were super um, uh, heresy, 
but the apocryphal writings uh, were not heresy. Those, those were uh, well accepted um, in the early church. So anyway, just you mentioned both of them, and so I was like, just making sure people don't associate both of those together. Well, but that's what Barnstone does in the book, right? The other Bible is um, he just he put these are this is a collection of these early writings that were you know a lot of them are contemporary with you know the Antonician or the Nicene fathers, and so these would be the works some of them that um, the. Uh, early church writers would have been writing against. So, yeah. Right. And the Apocrypha would have been uh, stuff that we have back from copies like in the Dead Sea Scrolls and stuff. So, 2nd, 3rd century BC, um, as opposed to 3rd, 4th century AD. Um, so, anyway, just separating the Old Testament Apocrypha from the uh, post New Testament. New Testament Apocrypha? <laughs> yeah, from the New Testament Apocrypha. Yeah, don't. Uh, don't let the the title throw you. It doesn't mean they're the, considered the same. Anyway, hey Nick, my computer's about to die, so why don't you talk to us about church history books while I run and get my charger? <laughs> okay, all right. Uh, church history, uh, like we've been saying, it's it's vital. Th- there have been dialogues, conversations that have been going on for centuries about various topics. Uh, the the god the godhood of Christ, so his deity, um, the Trinity, and how they relate to one another, the three and oneness of the one true God, <clears throat> um, and so all these different conversations they've been going on for centuries, and so it's it's good to know church history. If you don't know church history, um, again, you kind of end up in an isolationist bubble. Um, and you can almost get this superiority complex of, you know, truth will die with me kind of thing. Some have done that. Some religious groups have, have ended up that way. So uh, it's good to know church history. Here are some resources that are beneficial for that. Um, Justo Gonzalez, he has written a two-volume set called The Story of Christianity. And he does a very good job. The first volume, it takes you from the inception of the church all the way to the Reformation period in the 16th century. And then the second volume takes you from 16th century onward to uh, more contemporary times. If you want something, just a single volume that is written kind of in plain speak, a guy by the name of Shelley has written a book called Church History in Plain Language. Uh, church history, plain language. And uh, he does a good job of kind of summarizing some of the, the, the highlights in church history. Another one that highlights, uh, he calls them turning points. In fact, that's the name of the book, Turning Points by Null, N-O-L-L. He, I think it's, uh, could be seven or ten different turning points in church history. So Noel writes about those very specific incidents, uh, very specific times in church history, and shows how they were these turning points in Christendom and why they were so significant. And then there's another book by Lane called A Concise History of Christian Thought. This guy actually goes through and he'll take like origin and he'll have a couple pages on origin, what he believed, some of the stuff that he wrote about, kind of what was his thinking. So he does that throughout you know, throughout all of church history. These major thinkers, you know, guys like Anselm, uh, Augustine, guys like Thomas Aquinas, 
and uh, he'll he'll put the and again it's concise so in a very succinct way he'll do his best to explain here's what these guys wrote about what they believed and um, very beneficial just to kind of get in the head of of some of these guys so and that's a good starting uh, so, point because um, yeah I'm back got my got my hey, computer there plugged are. in there you go <laughs> it's a good starting point because even if you just pick one of those guys Thomas Aquinas it's going to take a long time just to read everything Aquinas wrote. Talk about voluminous, man. Yeah, so having uh, ha- having someone who has been through uh, the bulk of that, able to summarize it for you, that's, that's a good starting point. So let's talk about journals and websites just for a second. This is um, a little bit newer to me. I haven't used these for that long. But um, there are a few journals out there that I've uh, begun looking at. So the first one is called JBL, the Journal of Biblical Literature. And you can actually get like three decades of volumes on Logos um, for a couple hundred bucks. And you can also subscribe to journals online. Uh, They're usually too expensive for individuals to like (laughs) have all of these subscriptions. So normally what happens is uh, public universities pay uh, subscriptions for their entire university so that if you're a student, then you do have access to all of these journals. But if you're not a student, then uh, you're going to have to be very uh, rich to afford (laughs) a subscription to all these journals. So you'd be better off uh, trying to get a guest pass at a university to access their research uh, library. And what else, Nick? It's amazing what you can find online. Um, I found through the University of Michigan uh, a website where they have 50 years of Princeton Theological Review available online. Um, and but it's you know it's 19th century stuff, so yeah, there's there's uh, it's dated, but it's there. Um, if you're more of the Stone Campbell movement, uh, we do publish certain scholarly journals. One that comes to mind is the Restoration Quarterly. I believe they still publish that. But yeah, there there are, and you know, it's it's tough to say, oh yeah, um, you should subscribe to this particular journal or uh, uh, what have you. It's, and, and the reason is because not just the price, but uh, a lot of these things. You know, when you're doing research and it's topical. Um, you know, just because you have a subscription to a particular journal doesn't mean you're going to get an issue that deals with that particular topic that you're studying. Right. And so uh, right now I'm enrolled with Liberty University. They have uh, their Jerry Falwell, Falwell Library that's uh, available online. And so, um, I mean, yeah, the, the ability to go to a website and just plug in your search term. And there are websites that, that do that. And uh, as well, but that—that's you know, and, and to be able to pull from all the different resources, and here's what they said over at Journal of Biblical Literature, and sure. here's what they said over at the Southern Baptist Theological Journal, or whatever. Um, uh, be able to pull those resources—that—that that is that can be beneficial. And there's a uh, website I came across called Brill B R I L L. Brill is a very old publishing company, and um, they. Uh, you search on their website a certain topic, and it will pull up all the journals, uh, the like specific journal copy that is relevant to that search. And so then it'll let you know how much you can buy that journal for that particular 
you know, issue uh, or subscribe to in order to get access to the information that you want from your search. And so, again, it can add up. You know, you find one article you think might be helpful to your research, uh, but it's 20 bucks. It's like, huh, I really hope this one article helps me out. <laughs> it's like 20 bucks. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, so that's one way of doing it. There are also websites that are a little more accessible. There's one called academia.edu, academia.edu. Um, the, you, there's a free search engine that you can use that's terrible. Um, it doesn't work very well, probably because there's a more expensive search engine that you can use for, I think, uh, if you subscribe for like six bucks a month. And uh, this is where researchers uh, post their work because, you know, researchers, they do all this work and they want people to read it. And so <laughs> if they have the rights to it, then they, they usually post their research up on things like this, public um, platforms. So academia.edu, if you wanted like a $6 membership there. There's also JSTOR, which stands for journalstorage.org, J-S-T-O-R.org. Similar thing where people can uh, upload, bookmark, download um, research uh, published publicly there by the researchers themselves. So that's journals and websites. And It's, it's yeah. funny because uh, academia.edu always sends me junk emails like, hey, someone may have cited you in a research paper. (laughs) Your name was found. It's like, nah, probably not. Yeah, it's the worst. It's the worst. Um, So So let's talk about some apologetics works. Unless, did you have some more to say about websites? Nope, nope, I think that's it. Yeah, let's talk about apologetics then uh, and some resources that are good for defending the faith. Yeah, apologetics. I really really like the intelligent design uh, movement. Uh, I think they are run by the Discovery uh, Group. I can't remember if that's the name or not. But the intelligent design movement, basically, um, the the one thing I would disagree with the intelligent design movement is that it seems like most of the uh, guys in that movement are old Earth creationists. So they believe um, in you know mil- the Earth being millions of years and carbon dating and stuff like that. But they still believe that everything in creation points towards a mind, a uh, outside intelligence, and that that can be uh, detected within nature itself. So it's not um, a god of the gaps theory where we don't understand something in science, so we're just saying God did it. It's actually looking at what we can see in drawing the inference that we know where this comes from. It only comes from... Um, we know where information comes from. Information only comes from mind, and so you have to have a mind to have, you know, DNA because that's information-rich coding, uh, biological coding in every cell of every living thing. So and for intelligent design, I would recommend anything by Stephen Meyer. Uh, he's, he's well-spoken, well-written. His books are Signature in the Cell, Darwin's Doubt, and The Return of the God Hypothesis. Uh, there's another book that's more like an encyclopedia. It's called Theistic Evolution. So this is for the guys who would say, you know what, Darwinian evolution, it's right, but God made it happen. God created everything through the Darwinian mechanisms of uh, mutation and natural selection. So if that's what you believe, then this book is to uh, show you what makes that argument not work. So it's a scientific, philosophical, and theological critique. 
This is for the people who think God makes evolution happen. Uh, theistic evolution. So the uh, other books that I like the best are books by Jonathan Wells. Jonathan Wells, he wrote a book called Icons of Evolution, and then he updated that recently with a book called Zombie Science, More Icons of Evolution, where basically he shows how these these pictures that people have drawn to show why evolution is true are really just that. They're just pictures. They're, it's um, science masquerading as real science, but it's actually not real science. So that's why he calls it zombie science. These things just masquerade as real science, but they're actually not. Um, and they just keep coming back and they won't die. <laughs> so zombie <laughs> science. Um, another one that I really liked, I did a series of devotionals on, is called What Darwin Didn't Know. A Doctor Dissects Evolution. It's by a, a guy named Jeffrey Simmons. And so that's an incredible, short, succinct, very readable book. Um, and I believe you have a, a few ID proponents you like to read, right, Nick? Uh, so um, if you want kind of the the view from even, even how secular scholars, at least those who are non-ID, non-intelligent design proponents, see the shortcomings in Darwinian evolution. <clears throat> Michael Behe is kind of the poster child for that. He's written a couple books, Darwin's Black Box and also Edge of Evolution. And his irreducible complexity argument, I mean, it's, it's substantial. Yeah. And, um, and I believe Michael Behe is uh, a part of the intelligent design group. Is he now? Yeah. I, I just thought he was, uh, at the time, I guess, when he wrote him, he was not part of the ID movement. But good to hear that he's... He's, come along. Come over to the camp now. <laughs> a few other books you've probably heard of before that are good for apologetics. Case for Christ, uh, that's a good one by Lee Strobel. He also wrote Case for a Creator and Case for Faith. He has a bunch of other case things that's kind of become... Case like, for the Real Jesus, that's a good one. Yeah, he's he's got like 12 Case for Something books now, so it's kind of <laughs> turned into, a, I guess, a moneymaker for him. But these first ones, very good, substantial, Case for Christ, Case for Creator, Case for Faith, Case for the Historical Jesus. Um, there's a big encyclopedia-like book called The New Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell. That's a good one to have on hand. Um, and what else do we have here, Nick? What I just finished a book called Thinking About Apologetics by Bileby, B-E-I-L-B-Y. Um, just an excellent overview, uh, kind of non-technical, but it gives you an overview of what apologetics is, is all about. Tim Keller, more of a, I guess, popular uh, book here, The Reason for God, um, another good little apologetics book, um, Why I'm a Christian. It's edited by Geisler and Hoffman, <clears throat> Why I'm a Christian. They kind of, uh, this is their answer to, um, Crum, what's the guy's name? Why I'm not a Christian. Bertrand Russell. Kind of, this oh. is their, their retort to that, Why I Am a Christian. So, um, Case for the Resurrection of Jesus by Michael Lacona. The resurrection is of top importance in Christianity. Just ask Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Lacona does a good job of uh, distilling it down to its essential elements. Uh, for the mind-body problem, and this is a, a field of apologetics that is, I guess, f uh, more of the philosophical realm of it, but J.P. Moreland um, is kind of the guy for that, a Christian apologist. He demonstrates how we are more than just our brains. Um, we are more than just a physical being. Uh, there's more than just physical stuff around us, body and soul, and also the soul. Body and soul is the big 
more technical one. Thessel is uh, much more has a much broader audience. And J.P. Moreland, he's a <clears throat> he's an ID guy as well, intelligent design proponent as well. There you go. And then uh, if you just want like broad overview with very simple charts, uh, House and Holden have published uh, a book of charts, charts of apologetics and Christian evidences, which is uh, a very good resource. I've used it many times when I've taught apologetics. Um, a lot of good charts in there. So, Okay. All right. Books that I recommend are... Uh, the Unseen Realm, Recovering the Supernatural Worldview of the Bible by Michael Heiser. Uh, that's an excellent book, definitely reorienting in the way we see the Old Testament, and the New Testament, and the ministry of Jesus. Um, the uh, book that I recommend for Christian counseling is a book called The Truths We Must Believe by Chris Thurman. And the principle behind that is, uh, is very good. You can basically identify these lies that we, in, that we re- re- reflexively believe and the truth that set them straight and kind of help us to correct our thinking. Good for uh, cognitive behavioral therapy. Uh, The book for marriages and marriage counseling that I recommend is called The Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work by John Gottman. That one's very good. Um, He has a weird thing called the Love Lab that couples come and spend the weekend at where he observes them, and he has like a 90% um, accuracy of whether that couple will be together still in five years and uh, things they can do to make that change. And then there's a book that we recommend for parenting. It's called Love and Logic, Magic for Early Childhood by Jim and Charles Fay. Love and Logic, Magic for Early Childhood. And that's full of uh, good tips for parenting as well. What books do you like, Nick? So uh, you mentioned Unseen Realm. Greg Boyd, um, well, he is a um, crumb. What's the word I'm looking for? Evangelical, right? Um, yeah, but it's, um, what's his thing that he's open known theism? for? There it is. Even though he's an open theist, um, open I still theist. like his, his, <laughs> huh? What's that? I, I'm an open theist. <laughs> okay. All right. I disagree with that. But anyway, <laughs> God at War. This is, so if, um, Heiser's book, he, he, he brings out a lot in the Old Testament and, and that's good. Boyd's God at War brings out Old Testament and New Testament, and I think it's I, I prefer his model, his warfare worldview a little better than Heiser. I don't uh, necessarily think Heiser's bad. I'm just saying I prefer this. Um, <clears throat> Holiness by J.C. Ryle, just a man, old a school one. guy. Yeah, yeah, the guy hammers, nails it down, and uh, just a great, great book. Uh, so you mentioned a marriage book. How about Love and Respect by Egerix and also This Momentary Marriage by John Piper. Uh, Love and Respect is usually what I take couples through when I'm doing premarital counseling. This Momentary Marriage is phenomenal if you've been married a while. Um, can't recommend it enough. Um, so for a hermeneutics book, you know, how how to understand uh, the Bible, how to, how to read the Bible and stuff like that. N.T. Wright has a book called Scripture and the Authority of God. Which So here's the question, right? What makes a collection of ancient Near Eastern narrative texts authoritative, right? Because that's what the Bible is. So why is that authoritative? Why would a sto- How is a story authoritative? Well, um, he walks through that, and it's just a great book. read it 
in just a couple days one time while on vacation. And then Dallas Willard, um, The Divine Conspiracy. This is his take on the Sermon on the Mount. And Willard was a philosopher, but he was a Christian. And, I mean, one of the points he makes in that, he says, why is it that we would not think of Jesus as the smartest person to ever walk the planet? since all of the treasures of wisdom and knowledge were hidden in him, Colossians 2. It's just, I mean, the whole book is fantastic, but that's just, just that one point, right? Jesus was smart, and and I think we take the, the, the brain aspect out of Christianity sometimes when we talk about faith and things like that. It's also, it's not just faith, it's also knowledge, and we are to grow in our knowledge. And Anyway, divine conspiracy. And Willard, he's, he's quite prolific. He's written quite a few books, and... Uh, Spirits of the Disciplines is another one by Willard. Yeah. He's got another one about hearing God. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I've, I've read a few good, of good them. Stuff. He sort of hit hit or miss for me, but uh, Divine Conspiracy. I haven't looked at that one yet. I have to check that out. Now, Nick, well, you have take to a, take a good long look at it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, I'll do that if you take a good long look at Unseen Realm. So I did. I did. I disagree. You skimmed it. You didn't even read the whole thing. You skimmed it. No, it's I I took a deep dive in some parts. Some parts. <laughs> miscellaneous. Uh you have some miscellaneous things that you wanted to add here, Nick. What are they? So um I think this is included with your when you buy Logos, but it's called Treasury of Scripture Knowledge. Um for those who believe that the best commentary on the Bible is the Bible itself, um Man, treasury scripture knowledge, over 500, over over half a million scripture cross-references on every verse of the Bible. Um, just a fantastic resource. Um, and if you can't get it on Logos, if you don't have it, if you don't if you want a hard copy, you can. Um, this is a classic work. I'm sure you can pick up a relatively inexpensive copy somewhere. Um, you mentioned Beale earlier, how he co-authored, uh, what, a Revelation commentary. Right, he also right. co-authored uh, a book called Commentary on the New Testament Use of the Old Testament. Uh, he co-authored that with D.A. Carson. Phenomenal. It's, and it's a fatty, right? But it's it's uh, every Old Testament reference in the New Testament, they have pulled it apart, taken it uh, apart, and put it back together and explained its original context, but also what it means in the New Testament context. 60 bucks in Logos. Uh, I think that's comparable to what I paid for it as a in a hard copy. I mentioned J.C. Ryle. Love J.C. Ryle. Expository Thoughts on the Gospels is a four-volume set, and he takes a deep dive in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Just uh, a great resource on the Gospels. Now, if you don't have time to sit down and read books, um, but you like to listen to things, maybe you're an auditory listener. You got lots of time sitting in traffic, driving to work back and forth. Um, in addition to audiobooks, if you can find any of these on audiobook, many of them are, uh, there are podcasts that are very good. Uh, there's a really great podcast called Swordplay with Nick Perez and Alex Flood. I highly Never recommend that. Uh, <laughs> it has uh, an audience of at least seven to eight people. And so if you're interested in that, really, that's we're that, that high, huh? <laughs> I thought I was the one who was just making the, the listen uh, tally go higher. You click it seven times. I guess that's, that's where right. the seven or eight comes from. <laughs> <laughs> Here are some podcasts that I really like listening to. I, I mentioned for apologetics, I like the intelligent design books. Um, there's a podcast called ID the Future, the, the letters ID the Future. And uh, they have all kinds of guest interviews, and it's very good at giving you 
good science, like good up-to-date. They don't talk about uh, religion or the Bible very often. Um, they sometimes talk about philosophy, but they don't make a case for a specific creator. They just make a case for an, an intelligent designer. But most of the people in that movement happen to believe in the God of the Bible. Uh, and so uh, the Judeo-Christian creator makes the most sense uh, with what they're seeing scientifically. So ID the Future, uh, Michael Heiser, who wrote The Unseen Realm and other books that, that are quite good, he has a podcast called The Naked Bible Podcast. The Naked Bible Podcast. That's a great podcast. It dives deep into um, uh, exegetical uh, study of all kinds of uh books in the Bible, especially the Old Testament books where Heiser kind of specializes. Um, what are some of the podcasts you like to listen to, Nick? Good for you listening to Bible podcasts. <laughs> uh, mine are, uh, pardon the interruption, it's a sports talk show, um, PTI. And then Twilight Zone, uh, there's a podcast devoted to the Twilight Zone that I like to listen yeah. to from time to time. Not relevant. I love the Twilight Zone. Not relevant to what we're talking about but still yeah, still sorry. interesting sounds <laughs> hey you need to let the steam little, off every now and then a little p little glimpse into nick perez here take the pot off of the burner and anyway <laughs> <laughs> well um we talked a lot about logos um and about resources where else can we get resources nick um so I, I mentioned bookstore. I'm just I'm blown away by what I what people you know, and maybe it's more of a they want to pass it along. But I'm always blown away about what you can find at used bookstores. Um, there's websites. Um, I think there's thriftbooks.com, abebooks.com. Just inexpensive ways to build and customize your own library. Um, if you can't find a used copy or the titles of such recent publication, there just aren't any used. You got Amazon.com. Christian book distributors, you can usually get stuff at a pretty good deal, uh, uh, bargain price there as well. So just other places you can look. Right, right. Well, that's it for our episode on Bible study tools. And so I uh, can't believe we just talked for an hour and 20 minutes on <laughs> Just the books we like to use to prepare the podcast. To, and then we created the longest podcast we've ever done about those books. <laughs> and I, and I, I hope one of the things that audience takes away from this is <clears throat> um, it takes time. Um, I don't think there's necessarily a quick way to do it. Yeah, Logos makes us more efficient in, in our Bible study, but um, we need to be spending time in the Word, and time spent in the Word is time well spent. And these resources help us help us do that. Um, so a lot of lot of time, a lot of study goes into what we do here on the podcast. Um, not to pat ourselves on the back or anything like that. I just I hope you appreciate just uh, just how, the amount of work that goes into um, uh, what we do. Not only with the podcast, but you know we're both uh, preachers, ministers. We teach Bible classes. We preach sermons. Husbands and fathers. a lot of work goes into all that as well. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Husbands, exactly. fathers, evangelists. Um, <laughs> So counselors, uh, uh, so that's you know. Um, I hope it gives you an appreciation of the deep dive we take uh, into Scripture and God's Word, um, and hopefully it stimulates you as well, oh diligent listener, uh, to take your own deep dive and to spend your time in God's Word and <clears throat> better understand the context of Scripture as well as the content of Scripture. Hey, I just pulled a Hank Hanegraaff. There you uh, go. <laughs> what are you orthodox now? Yeah. <laughs> so uh, this is a labor of love. We love doing what we do, 
And uh, just yep. let it be a note to the listener that you don't have to have all of these resources. You don't have to do all the things we do. Um, you can just pick a handful of things that are most interesting and helpful to you. Um, Nick and I, this is our occupation. This is what we do full time. You know, this is why uh, you should go to Bible class or you should show up to church on Sunday because if you have a good teacher or a good preacher, then they'll have done a lot of this stuff and uh, put it together to to share with you. And so you uh, you have a 40-hour-a-week job, uh, so you don't need another 40-hour-a-week job on top of that just to feel like you know the Bible as good as the preacher or the teacher. Um, that's not necessary. That's not what everybody is called to. And uh, there's a reason why the body has many gifts, and uh, not all of those gifts are teaching and preaching. Um, so we need to share these gifts with one another. That's why we work hard to bring to the table that we sit at in fellowship to share the good things God has given to us, and uh, we give that to you. And so that's why, um, because it's our full-time occupation, uh, we don't make money off this podcast, and we never will. And so we're not never going to ask for money or anything like that. This is just going to be a free reference for you, for anybody who Nick and I run into, that we can uh, give people inf- more supplemental information. And so, um, just be sure to buy Alex and Benny Hinn's book when it drops. When is it? Right. When does it hit bookshelves? It <laughs> uh, should be hitting the shelves right around the return of Christ, and so the twelfth and ever. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> so, <laughs> after that ninth blood moon. Uh, it'll it'll <laughs> yeah. come out. So pre-published now, though, if you want. Um, <laughs> Pre-order. That's right. Yeah. You can reserve your spot. Well, I think that's it for this episode of uh, Sword Play. We'll probably see you uh, not next week, but the week after. Uh, Nick and I are deep into Master's work and other ministry uh, topics and and uh, things on the on the to-do list. So next will be episode fifty-two, and we'll jump into our next book. I don't know what that next book is. Do you know, Nick, what's our next book? No, I don't. We'll In the meantime, though, we we have covered a bunch of books, and you can take a deep dive into our archives in the iTunes store or in the Google Play Music store. Just search Swordplay in those respective places, and you can download episodes to your particular device uh, as well. And leave a review. That'll help us get the word out about the podcast. Share it on social media as well if you are so inclined. And if people have a question, Alex, they can send it to swordplaypodcast at gmail.com. Swordplaypodcast at gmail.com. Send us your questions or books you want us to cover, um, anything uh, like that. Also, be sure to leave a review uh, or in a comment on iTunes or your respective podcast app or listening device if there's an option there to rate and review the podcast do that that'll help us to uh spread the word to more people and um yeah say say good things if you if you don't have good things to say keep it to yourself and (laughs) and uh try to be encouraging and we will try to encourage you and i think that's it for this time we'll tune in next time for another episode of swordplay 